Welcome into another episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. I am your host, Blake Brumleaf, covering how your favorite things and people get from point A to point B. And in today's episode, I'm sharing a conversation with two of the best creators in freight and also previous Digital Dispatch Podcast guests, Chris Jolly and Nick Dangles. Jolly and I were asked by Nick to join his series on the logistics of marketing to talk about what all goes into our content process. It's a pretty candid discussion on how we got started, how we reinvest and continue to evolve, plus how we think about content marketing in the world of freight. I think you guys are really going to like this one, so let's go ahead and dive in. All right, everybody. So here, let me give a quick introduction to the video series. Over the past few years, we've seen brokers, freight tech companies, and other transportation providers enter the space and become savvier when it comes to modern day marketing practices. But when you're a broker or transportation provider, where do you go first to understand marketing? If you don't have the background, how do you deep dive and understand what to do? That's why the logistics of marketing exists to bring together industry and subject matter experts together to kind of peel back the layers of marketing problems that exist in the industry. And in each episode, we're going to talk to an expert in logistics, an expert in marketing, and just other experts in their fields to to talk about the topics at hand. And today that topic is content generation. With that in mind, like we've got the freight coach, Chris, we've got Blythe. You guys want to give a quick introduction to yourself? Blythe, you want to go first? Sure. So uh, my name is Blythe Brumleaf. I got my start in the logistics industry a little more than 10 years ago. I was working as an executive assistant with a blog on the side. And uh, long story short, uh, ended up starting up my own company a few years ago. That's how Digital Dispatch was born. And that leads me here today. Perfect. Great having you on. Chris, the man who needs no introduction. Ah, well, my name is Chris Jolly. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> just kind of a guy who knows a lot of what not to do in freight and decided to hit record on my laptop a couple years ago. And here we are. Um, no, I, I'm such a firm believer in this topic. I'm very passionate about this topic. I, obviously, everything that I've done in my business has been completely amplified by social media and marketing. And that's just that organic content reach that is so valuable that so many people underutilize. And I'm just happy to be here to talk about it with you, Nick, and one of my favorite people on earth, Blythe. She's the OG out there. I'm just trying to be as good as she is. So, The check is in the mail. (laughs) (laughs) You got got my Venmo text, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, guys. I'm super excited to have both of you on here today. Um, To give a little introduction on to the actual topic, today's topic, like I said, is content generation. At, like, at Kinetic, we obviously see a lot of value in creating content, whether it's LinkedIn posts or articles or webinars like today. Like Content generation is something we put a lot of emphasis on. And like Chris, I suspect you both feel the same way or you wouldn't be on this webinar. But the transportation industry as a whole seems to underutilize content creation. Like There are certainly companies that put out great content, but a big section still has the mentality that well, they have a website, so like that's all they're needing. They're, they need, and they're probably good. And with that in mind, I want to set the stage with a really broad question that, like Blythe, I'll start with you. What is content marketing? 
Content marketing is essentially anything that you write, you film, you record, and you put it out on the internet. So it can be an email campaign, it can be a blog, it can be uh, video, podcasts, um, social media captions, uh, any of that constitutes as content marketing because where all of that content starts is the written word. So I always sort of point it back to the written word is where all of this other all these other parts of content marketing stems from. Interesting. And Chris, like, do you have the same take on content marketing? I know you yeah, don't have the marketing background, but is, is yeah. that kind of a I don't lot have of your the marketing background and I don't have the Webster's definition. You of me it. Both. I, I just think that from a, you know, content marketing perspective is it's such an organic and cost effective way to get your brand out there. Uh, and it's not as challenging as a lot of people think it's literally as easy as hitting record on your phone or just putting together a organic written post or even you know starting out with a blog or like I think writing is still a very effective way of getting out there whether it's a newsletter or a weekly newsletter and as long as it's coming from the personal brand itself I'm all about that you know and I think that that's that's huge in the content marketing space for sure yeah and I like I say that you don't have the background in it necessarily but at the same time like I think you're opinion on it is as valuable if not more valuable than somebody who's actually in like specifically in marketing just because this is what you do every day and you've seen a tremendous amount of success doing it so like along those lines let me ask you this what does a company get out of content is it like is it the same as just putting your company name on a bulletin board is it just a way to get your name out there or like, is there more to it is there more value to it than that Oh, there's a ton of value. Or is that for me or Blythe? But obviously, yeah, that's, ladies that's first, Blythe wants to take it. Okay. Um, I think it's a way for you to tell your true story. You know, like I think that there the days of that, you know, let's call it what it is, that corporate messaging, that proper, you know, professionally written, produced way of putting information out there. I, I personally think that's dead. I don't see the value in that when you can create, yeah, you have your umbrella, which is the corporation, but you have a bunch of personal brands inside of it telling your identity of your company because anybody could say that we have the best culture, we have the best this, the best that. I could post all of that stuff too, but if it's bullshit, that word is going to get out there. So I think let your team, if you're truly say team first, because that's always a, you know, a thing, companies are like, oh, we have the best team. Let your team tell the story then. And if it's true, you'll have no problem finding customers. You'll have no trouble finding talent and retaining all of those uh, things as well. Yeah, you know, what you touched in there, like, how important do you think is like that authenticity component? And a hundred percent of it. If you're fake, it'll be sniffed out really quick. I think, you know, you might, well, I wouldn't say really quick. You might be able to pull it off for a little bit, but you know, eventually it'll all come to light that you don't know what you're talking about. So, you know, like with my approach, I don't know everything. And I'm going to tell you, I don't know everything. I'm figuring all of this stuff out. I'm not going to label myself as an expert in anything. I'm just a guy who's trying to figure out his own identity and build his own thing up through trial and error. Cause that's like what it boils down to is it's going to be a lot of trial, a lot of error. And then you make those small little tweaks to your approach as you go. And you know, again, like once you remove the facade of perfection from it and you're just like, Hey, I just got to record. I got to put something out there. I got to put a post out there. Um, if it hits, it hits. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And, you know, newsflash, the ones you think are going to hit never do. And it's usually the ones that you're like, this is going to be terrible. And you're like, holy shit, how did that get so much engagement? 
I echo that statement 100%. And I learned that lesson the hard way. I think about 10 years ago when I still had, you know, sort of a sports blog, I wrote this in-depth research on how many women were working in executive roles at at all the NFL teams in the country. And I spent hours on this report and I thought it was going to do numbers and it didn't. And what outperformed it that week was a cats with lightsabers post. That's what people wanted to see. They did not want to see in-depth research on, you know, the the status of women executives in the NFL. So you never know what's going to hit, but you should try to stay with that authentic path like Chris is talking about. And people preach about authenticity. That's sort of a buzzword that's getting played out a lot. But as long as you're open and honest with your audience and you're not faking it, then you can have them become part of your journey instead of just, you know, just offering up your services nonstop. And, you know, we have great, you know, we have a ping pong table in the office and this is how great our workplace culture is. It's like, no, tell me how you're going to save my company money. That's what people care about. And then you can mix in some of the personal anecdotes of, of what makes you special because ultimately people do business with people that they like. And as long as you're still fulfilling a need for them, then they're just going to continue to trust you more as long as you're authentic and honest with them. Yeah. Is it so life? Let's let me kind of dig deeper into that in terms of what companies get out of content. Is it so if it's not just about that name recognition, what else do you build up through doing that? Do you build up like a personal brand or reputation for for yourself? What are the other kind of less like obvious benefits of putting content out there? Well, I, I think it's it's building up your personal brand, but also not being afraid to build up the company brand. You know, what do you stand for? What kind of uh, where where do you, what thoughts are going on, or what what's happening within the industry today, and what's your perspective on it from an employee base, and then also from a customer base? I think that there's lots of good examples of where you can find on on LinkedIn where companies are really starting to to, to grab a hold of letting their letting their employees really have the freedom to talk about what they want as long as it's kind of on brand for the company. And and you can have a little bit of a leeway with it, but it ultimately you should be as a company encouraging your employees to talk about different things that are going on within the industry instead of holding them back. And I think that that's kind of where we're at right now. We're kind of at a fork in a road with a lot of companies where they still want to either stay on the strict path of you have to go through four levels of, of, of getting something approved before you can even publish it to the company LinkedIn to sort of a, a freedom of you have these general buckets of what you want your company to be known for. And then you allow your employees to be creative. Because I think if you stifle that creativity, then you're going to run into issues where you're going to sound like every other company. If you allow them to be more creative and allow them that that freedom, then I think that you're gonna you're gonna see a lot more or a lot better results than than what you know a typical press release would get. Yeah, you like you mentioned having those kind of buckets of what you co- want your company to be known for. How do you figure that out? Like, is that like a workshopping process that you go through? Is it kind of, is it apparent just like superficially? Like, oh, this is what we want. How do you figure it out? 
Well, I think it's it's staying within, you know, I, I would suggest picking two to three buckets of what you want to be known for. And then you also apply the same thing to your company as well. What do you want your two to three things of, of max of what you want other people to think of when they think of your company? So for me, for example, I want people to think of solopreneurship. I want people to think of marketing and I want people to think of website design. So that's where I, I as far as like my messaging, the majority, probably 75 80% of the messaging that I'm going to put out on LinkedIn is going to be related in one of those three buckets. And then I'll throw in, you know, maybe the 20% or the 10%. It's called the KLT method, uh, knowledge, learning, and then trust. And so, or knowledge, like, and trust. So 20% of what I like, I mean, and it's not as super, like you don't have to be super strict with this, but it's just a general kind of consensus of what you want to be known for. And then you decide those buckets and then you can branch off and you can go a mile deep on each one of those different topics. And if you if you find yourself trying to be everything to everyone, you're going to get overwhelmed really quickly. So that's why I'd like to niche it down, even though, you know, saying those three things are they're huge niches, if you can even call them a niche. Um, but that you can still go a mile deep on each one of those topics. Chris, does that, al- does that align with how you approach your content? I think that from a content perspective, I call it the 2L approach. You got to make them laugh or you got to make them learn. Mm-hmm. And that's what will get their attention, you know? Because I think like, I don't know, like maybe you see this more on like on the personal side of content thing or not is, you know, it's like, I was like that, oh, poor me style thing. And it's almost like, who's the, who, who can cry the loudest. But I think like from a content perspective as a company, like, I mean, if you truly have like as exciting as a culture as you think, like your employees are going to tell that story and, you know, you're going to see that inside of your content. And then furthermore, you know, like I'll use broker, Nick, you were in brokers just as long as I was, man. Like we're really not doing anything different than everybody else, no matter what everybody wants to say. Like we're all going for the same customers. We're all going for the same uh, carriers that are on the road right now. But it's like, how do we educate our shipper base to have a better understanding of what we do as brokers? Because, you know, just as well as I do on a sales call, and really, when you're building a relationship with a shipper, they don't really ask you like why you operate the way that you do. You know, they don't care as long as your trucks are showing up. Like that's what they're concerned about. But I feel like being able to tell that story on the real value behind it, because like no matter what technology you throw out there, no matter what you do, it's always going to boil down to the people. To touch on Blythe's point earlier, people are going to buy from you because they like you. And talk about setting yourself apart from your competition is that that true ownership on. When you, you know, when you fuck things up, you literally go through and talk about it. Like, Hey, you know, we dropped the ball on this one. This is how, what, like, this is what we're going to do differently next time to try and alleviate this scenario. Like we can only control so much, but I think taking that approach with your content is going to level you up and it's going to, it's going to expand your reach farther than you ever want. Like everybody out here right now has a problem, uh, hiring people. Um, this recruits for you 24 seven, you know, social media is free and, you know, we all kind of own our own thing. So free is always a great price in the business world and especially the reach that it gets, you know, there are millions and millions of eyeballs on social media every single day and you can do that. And it literally takes 30 seconds. Yeah, I agree with all that. It, you touched on actually like one of my subsequent questions here about what should a company's content be about? And like you kind of mentioned that from a shipper perspective, Chris, like like giving your shippers content that actually um, is important to them. If you were a broker, what kind of content would you, would you put out there? Like who would you direct it to? What should your content be? 
go to the freight coaches YouTube videos and follow. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but no, it's like, again, I would just talk about why, you know, like the ins and outs of what you do and the decisions that you make and how you source the carriers that you source. And furthermore, how you work with the customers that you work with, because at the end of the day, not everybody's going to be a great fit for you. And it's like, all right, what, what value can you add to the community? And that was a main driving force behind a lot of the stuff that I put out there is it's like, I know I don't know everything, but if I can put some information out there that people can apply today and benefit and think of it from a subjective point of view, instead of this is the way we've always done things and they can see a difference. Like that's what it's all about. It's like that tribal knowledge that we all hold that we think nobody gives a shit about. People actually give lots of shits about, you know? And uh, sorry, I, I'll tone it down on the cursing. I know that that's my thing. <laughs> Let her loose. Okay. Um, but no, it's it's just one of those things that I think that you, you can't overthink what you're doing. And, you know, and that's why I, I don't plan out my content weeks in advance. I don't at all. A lot of it is spur of the moment. It's conversational. If I'm talking to somebody and, you know, Nick and I, like Nick and I have had a lot of conversations about brokerage and, you know, some of my content has came from those conversations because I'm like, oh, Nick, you reminded me of that one situation I dealt with. I think that would be valuable to talk about. I think that we, we literally overanalyze what we should say. And again, back to my whole point, the thing you think is going to work never will, you know? So like, that's why it's so important to find your message. Like if you're a broker out there and you want to Thank you. She she put the legit <laughs> emoji in the chat. <laughs> that just made my day. Oh, I you threw that. me off. You <laughs> threw me off. But no, it's like if you want to, you know, if you're a broker and you want to start building up a, a brand, again, talk about why you're different because what you think people want to hear and like why, like oh, we're going to save. No, like you're not going to save them money. You're not going to. You don't have better trucks than everybody else. That we all have the same. Um, access to all of that stuff. And that's really not a value add. Like as a broker, I'm sorry, but having access to trucks is the expectation that does not bring any value to anybody. So talk about why you're different. You know, if you specialize in a certain niche, like I did open deck and heavy haul, I know what every pain point of every shipper is because I actually live that life, you know? So I'm going to talk to them about, and I'm going to put content out there about why I'm different than all of the 87,000 other brokers are going to call them. Because I know I don't need an exploratory phone call to find out that when drivers show up at some of these facilities, they don't have PPE or they have chains for a load that needs to be strapped or they don't have edge protectors. I know that because I don't I, don't, I like it's my job to know that, you know, you can't have an exploratory conversation with the shipper. You know, you need to know that stuff going into yeah. it. And that comes with research. And that's where I would start in putting out my content. Yeah, it's def- I, I think you t- just to echo that statement too. You, you're really you're you're solving your problems first for your audience, and then you're continuing to be that educational resource for them. And so, if you can continue to be that educational resource for them to let them know this is what's going on in the market, this is why your your, your shipments are showing up late, this is why the driver is delayed. You're you're if you're being proactive with the educational part of your job, then that just continues to solidify that relationship with your customer because. Everybody starts doing business with someone because you can solve a problem for that person, but it's much harder to keep that business once you get it. Because I think for a a lot of industries, not just freight in general, but once you get a customer, you kind of forget about that customer and you move on to the next big deal when you should be worried about keeping the same customers that you worked so hard to get and education through content is a great way to do that. Yeah, and and just kind of touch on that a little bit. I think, you know, to help anybody out there who has any cold calling anxiety, that's the easy part. All right. Cold calling and the sales process is the easy part. Execution will always be harder. 
You got to pro- you, know, you actually got to live up to everything you told them that you were going to do. And that helps. But again, if you truly believe in the service that you're providing that like the execution, like will be easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love what you guys said about the like educational content for the shippers and like really kind of positioning yourself as an industry expert. I mean, I, because that's what they get value from. Like I personally, like my approach at when I was brokering freight, I'm by no means the best salesperson in the world. But what I was able to do was kind of convince my customers and position myself as that expert that they could actually rely on. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think having that content is great. Blythe, let's, so we talked a lot about shippers, but like to me, at least brokers have a few different audiences. They've got like their, their shipper customers, they've got carriers, they've got um, like potential employees, they've got existing employees. What type of um, content should they be putting out there to kind of address all of those different groups? Or do you just focus on one? Like, how do you do that? So I, I always suggest that you should start with a video first podcast because then everything else can draw from that. Even if you never post the video, you can still strip it to get the audio version. You can still take everything, all the pull quotes, or when I say pull quotes, if you listen back to your conversation, whether it's just you talking or maybe you're interviewing somebody else or you're having maybe a roundtable discussion within the company, you know, company experts, I think Freight Plus does a, a, a great example a great example of having those regular roundtable discussions with their executive team of what's going on in the market to position themselves as an educational resource. So I always suggest to start with a video first, even though it makes a lot of people a little nervous, but you pull, you can pull so many other different content pieces from that. So example, if you have an hour long webinar, like what we're doing here, then somebody should be able to go back through and listen to it and take down a few different quotes. And that can be a text post. That can be an email that you send out. That can be not only just a text post, but you can send it out to LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, all of your different platforms that you may or may not be on. But it starts from the the very beginning of having that video first, because then you can strip the audio for a podcast and you can strip the transcript in order to have a blog post. And then you can take and chop it up whether it's the video, audio, or the transcript, and you can chop that up into digestible bits and then send those out to social media. So that's why I suggest Video First Podcast. Chris, what are your thoughts on that? What types of content should people be creating? Like articles, videos, LinkedIn posts, everything? How do you how you approach it? I think that just, you know, again, starting and in, in just doing something, like, again, like, I'm right there with Blythe on the video. Like, I think video is so multi-purposed at, at the end because you know it is those quick sound those quick sound bites you can put a five minute clip out there the the, the uh audio only version of it you can strip out and, and put out there and then same you can do uh the voice to text option as well there's some cheap software out there that will convert all of that for you and put out written posts so again i think it's the it's the most effective one overall but at the end of like if you're not comfortable talking in front of a camera I, you, you know start with written start with you know just putting out a weekly thought you know, or something. I don't know. I just think that doing something is always going to be better than nothing to get the ball rolling because, you know, everybody, I think we overanalyze what, like what, when we do put stuff out there, Mm -hmm. you know, we overanalyze what we have to do. It's got to be perfect. It's got to be everything else. And, you know, the way that I see it and, you know, whoever watches this, just, just literally, I'm not trying to pump my stuff, but like, go back and watch my earliest stuff. It was terrible. It was absolutely terrible to what it's evolved into. But the thing is, is you got to, you know, as our boy Gary V says, you got to eat shit. You got to eat shit and figure it out. Like, you know, and that's the thing is, but it's like content will always work for you. Social media is not a fad. I think it's proven itself that it's 
not a fad and there's so much value in it. And there's especially in, inside of transportation, there's a ton of value inside of this stuff to get your reach out there. Um, but no, I mean, to kind of circle back around, I think that video is always going to be the most effective one to use because there's so many different ways. Yeah. Last time I checked, I mean, Blythe, unless you know this, you can't take a written text and turn it into a video uh, like, or can you? Uh, well, there's AI that's starting to come out that you can. So you can actually like hire a, a company to it. If you input, you send them the script and they will have AI that comes on and talks like it's a real person. And you can either pay for like a generic AI bot or you can pay for like a custom yeah. AI bot. So it, it's it's wild as far as like all the AI that's coming into marketing. See, this is why Blythe is so much better at this stuff than I am. <laughs> she knows all this yeah. shit. I don't. I've never if time that <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're gonna dig into this ai stuff because i don't know anything about that and i would love to learn more it's crazy uh, just tell me more now what's the size well, I, I would okay so a great example of it is um like a jay-z for example he famously you know for within a, the last few years went and sued a youtuber because the youtuber took recordings of all of his different tracks and then made a speech for, that was in Jay-Z's voice and uh, like a public support for like Donald Trump or something. So Jay-Z is like, what the hell? Like, I don't want to, you know, I, I, I'm in danger of sounding like I support Donald Trump and he'd obviously, he doesn't want that. So, but it, it, this AI went back through and collected all of his, the way he says certain words and his, his, his dialect and his tone and that he made him say a new speech. It's been done to presidents. Um, oh. it, it's kind of a wild world where we're kind of only just scratching the surface with it but if you think uh not to be i guess sort of diabolical but if you think that we're in like a misinformation or like a fake news kind of environment now we've only scratched the surface of it because more and more like video deep fakes are coming um and they look increasingly uh yeah. convincing no absolutely and you know that's the thing though is again like if you're out there creating content you know like to Blythe's point, like Jay Z, the only reason he was able to do that is because he owns literally 100% of his vocal cords, you know, and that's a big, big thing that you need to do um, from a content in a creator perspective is once it um, gets to that level, you need to own your own likeness and your own image. Cause otherwise, like if he didn't, if he, you know, cause like that's the crazy thing about that is I'm sure some attorney out there could be like, well, actually, you don't own the masters to that track where you said that. So therefore, they do have a right to put that out there unless the only like nick you're an attorney you could fucking probably put some legal <laughs> shit together for that. no i know but you know i mean you know what i'm saying though from a legal yeah. perspective if you don't own your likeness and your rights and you've sold that off people are going to be able to do that i think it's called synthesis ai oh. i think that that's 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 the the i guess the technology behind some of these different creations um there, there are some versions of ai within marketing that are really helpful. I, I use a tool called copy.ai and it helps me write so much. It, it helps me come up with, with newer ideas of how to avoid saying the same stuff in the same way over and over again. Um, I, I highly, highly recommend copy.ai. So that that's like part of the AI that I support, but like the deep fakes is also, you know, extremely concerning for obvious reasons. Reach out to yeah. Blythe Copy AI and sponsor her. <laughs> Jesus. Seriously, come on. <laughs> well, I already paid for up. the software. Yeah, exactly. Give her a free membership. Shit. <laughs> well, it definitely has some stuff to look up after this. That's for sure. Um, like Talking about the like the writing of content, we touched on video a little bit earlier. Blythe, is there 
like an ideal length that people should be looking at? Like, are, are certain lengths oh. of articles more suited to to SEO versus other things out there? Yes. Like, are certain video clips better than others? Like, what's your take on that? Um, well, I mean, if you're if you're talking about blogging in particular, there is a certain length that is great for SEO. But then you could make the whole argument of, you know, why are you creating SEO organic content when it, it, it's kind of a hit or miss in today's world where if you get folks to come to your site and read that article, the conversion rate is is very low compared to previous years. Um, so that's sort of the evolution that we're seeing from the blogging sphere. Um, but when it comes to like video, there, there really is no ideal length because the content just has to be good. And so as long as the content is good, Joe Rogan is the the number one creator in the world and he has three hour long shows damn near every day. So if the content is good, then it justifies listening to it for that length of time. But I think it just depends on the quality of the content. If it's a one minute long banger of a video, then upload it. But if it's three hours long, I don't think you should not post it because it could still be incredibly valuable for folks. Chris, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I don't want to like say I agree with everything she said, but I do. Like, I mean, it's it's tough. Like, you know, Nick Blythe and I don't really have exactly contrasting opinions <laughs> on how to do content. We're actually very aligned on a lot of it, you know. But the thing is, is you know, again, I'm, I, it's always going to go back to it's better to post it than to not post it. You know, like somebody could find value in it somehow, and you know, if you, and the reality is, is the first six to eight months, possibly, no one's going to like your shit, mm-hmm. you know? No one's going to like it at all. I mean, I, I almost signed my mom up on LinkedIn, so I at least had one person like my stuff <laughs> early on. It's kind of funny. Like, she'll comment on my live videos now on Facebook. Hi, honey. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I love it. I love that she does that. I've got one of my dad's nurses who goes around and likes all of my stuff. <laughs> so I feel like right. that. That's why I love LinkedIn because none of my family is on it. Like, yeah. LinkedIn and Twitter, nobody's, none of my family's on it. So I feel a little bit more of a freedom with that. And it's almost, <laughs> it's almost like you, you, you don't want your family and friends to see it because you want to know if it's, it's genuinely yeah. um, being engaged or you know well received and and what people like or what people don't like but now i i feel like even from that mindset i'm, I'm almost a little conflicted because i did this story yes for yesterday cyberly on this new research that's come out that that says like largely the the likes and shares and comments are largely useless when it comes to social media posts i would push back on the comments because i feel like comments that's where a lot of really good article ideas come from and that's where a lot of you know feedback and sort of real-time analysis of what you're talking about comes into play um but what the stat was something like 90 percent of people who scroll social media all social media platforms are lurkers they don't like they don't share they don't comment they just digest the information so 90 percent of users on social media are just lurkers. And so I think keeping that in mind is also incredibly freeing from just the perspective of the content that you want to create and the content that you want to put out. If it only gets six likes on it, who cares? Because maybe there are people that are watching that that aren't engaging with it at all, but they filed you know a little note away in the back of their mind and they keep seeing it over and over again. So when they're ready to buy, they come to you first because they've already been watching your content, even though they've never engaged with it. Um, so I think that that's, I think that that's an interesting way of looking at social media engagement and, and how a lot of companies will obsess over it and it causes them to completely quit 
after like three months and then they say, well, it just didn't work. It's like, well, you didn't give it a chance to work. You have to be committed to it. The reason that Chris and I are on this webinar right now is because we've put years into this. So to think that you can just start something and get immediate results is foolish. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll attest to some of that. I mean, I have, I will get like personal messages from people who uh, are either like just looking to talk to me. Sometimes I get people asking me to move their freight. I don't even move. Fre- I don't even broke freight anymore. But they've never the once liked a single one of my posts. Yeah, Nick, I've got more inbound leads from shippers than I ever did brokering. It's oh, weird. Yeah. As, as soon as I stop, who would have thought you had to stop brokering <laughs> to get fucking shippers? Jesus. <laughs> I get the exact same thing. I feel you on that. Uh, like my next question here was, how do you get started? But <clears throat> I feel like we talked about that quite a bit already. So I'll, I'll kind of segue into the next one. So what types of content generation tools should people be looking at? And this is something that I personally don't have much experience in at all. So I'd love to hear what you guys say, because you were talking about a little bit before the show. Chris, there you are holding your phone. <laughs> That's Tell all me you more. Need. No, just literally, your cell phone is literally all you need mm-hmm. to start. Your cell phone is... I mean, okay, so clearly I just upgraded my camera equipment. Um, but the, like in doing the, you know, because I have ADD hardcore and all the research that I did, your iPhone camera is better than any camera you can buy up to like a thousand bucks. All right. Like literally, and there's like, there's so many cool little tools that are out there right now where you can get a battery powered. Um, I don't even know what to call it, like a, to set your phone on and it'll rotate the camera angles and everything for you. And it can be remote controlled. You can zoom in, zoom out with it. There's a bunch of great tools out there and it doesn't cost an arm and a leg, you know, like you're already paying for your cell phone. And it's like, I think when I got started doing it, I just recorded everything over zoom. Um, I still record most stuff over zoom because I think it's the most effective tool mm-hmm. that's out there because some of those, you know, studios that you can pay for are not that good. I've looked into them. Um, but I think, you know, you utilize your cell phone and then just that raw footage is going to resonate with people, mm-hmm. you know, like I just don't see the need to use anything else. I mean, the starter kit that I use, I used a podcast starter kit off of Amazon that I bought for 250 bucks. Um, I used Adobe Premiere Pro when I started doing my podcast. I taught myself how to do that. That's like 20 bucks a month right there. And then Zoom to record the videos on it. It's like $15 a month. Mm-hmm. That's all I did, you know. So like if anything, it'll cost you. I'm bad at math. So 350 bucks a year, 400 bucks a year to use Zoom and Adobe Premiere Pro. And Adobe Premiere Pro is like the outside of the pros. And like what's crazy and Blythe, you probably can. It's like the you can watch content now and you're like, I know what that editing software is. I have that exact same one, <laughs> you know, and, the, and these are on like high budget production films and they use Adobe Premiere Pro. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't I don't have much experience with Adobe Premiere Pro just because I haven't made it there yet. I haven't seen a need to, to upgrade to that yet. I use a tool called Camtasia. It has a screen recording function, um, it, which I I like to more lean towards because what I do is a lot of like a website breakdown or teardowns, um, you know, the walk product walkthroughs or like website backend walkthroughs. So it allows me to be, you know, that little circle on the side of the screen and then show full screen of what I'm actually walking through. And then it has really quick and easy audio and video editing. So I highly recommend Camtasia. Um, but also if you're not comfortable doing this, the freelance market has never been better and more affordable. And it's going to take you hours. How I sort of break this down is that you have to do your research 
of what you want to talk about. And then from there, just know that you're going to have to do recording, you're going to have to do editing, and then you're going to have to focus on the uh, the publishing and the distribution of that content. So which parts do you want to do out of those key steps? And then whatever ones you don't want to do, outsource it. It's incredibly affordable to find somebody who can edit a video in a half of an hour where it might take you weeks to learn. I, I, I'm a bootstrapper. I, I, I like learning this stuff and challenging myself to learn these ins and outs of live streaming, of recording content. But not everybody is like that. A lot of people want to focus their energy on where they're the most valuable. And so with keeping that in mind, that's where I would suggest to, to use the freelance market, Upwork, Fiverr, all of these different freelancers out here that specialize in one specific thing and they can save you a lot of time and a lot of money and just package it up for you so that you, that way you just have a, a Dropbox or a Google Drive folder and you can just have that content ready to go each and every morning and it makes it super easy for you. Um, another tool that I would suggest is using something to gather and store your ideas and organize those ideas because it can become a little complicated or, or a, a little tedious to continuously save those ideas to some kind of a system. So I use the Notes app on my phone and then I also use a tool called Evernote where it has different folders where I can save you know, interview ideas, story ideas, um, TikToks to make in the future, um, recipes, you know, because that's other things that I, I want to save on a personal level, gift ideas, um, not necessarily related to work, but if you see something online and you want to save it, it makes it super easy to save it to that folder. So then that way, when I know that I have to create something or plan for, you know, the next week or the next month, then I can just scroll through all of those ideas. And I just have an endless sort of sea of ideas to, to pick and choose from. Do you, do you recommend any sort of like formalized content calendar or a tool to, to automate any of your social media posts? So I, I try not to do as much automating. And I say that, uh, well, I think organizing is important. So I use a tool called ClickUp, which is project management tools. Um, so that is super key for me to organize and coordinate interviews because I'm, I'm trying to get on people's schedules. Uh, they're trying to do the same. And so that I do use ClickUp to organize interviews and also the editing process because I still do a lot of it myself. Um, as far as automating the distribution, I honestly, I need to get better about the distribution of my content. I feel like I'm just, I have so much that I want to share that it almost is paralyzing. <laughs> so I have started using a new tool called Lately. And Lately allows you to upload one video you know, horizontal or vertical video, and they they have a you know AI that goes through the video and picks out different clips around eight seconds to maybe a, a longer than a minute in length, and it cuts those video clips for you automatically. It adds transcripts to it, um, so I'm I'm messing around with that right now. So hopefully that will help me in the distribution process because I feel like I'm just such a a planning mode and a creation mode that as soon as I get done creating, I don't, I need a mental break and I need to work on other parts of my business. And so I, I love creating content, but it does feel like it's increasingly um, the dominant part of my workday when my clients are still the most important thing because they keep, you know, they, they keep the lights on so I can still make more content. So it's, it's kind of towing that line, you know, as a business owner, taking care of the business and then also, you know, trying to get more business. And then it's like, well, if you have more leads than what you can handle, like what that's that's the situation I'm in right now. Is like I have more leads than I can handle. How do I get this content out? How do I keep making more content? And it's all good problems to have, but 
it's the life of a yeah. solopreneur, I guess. <laughs> Those are good problems to have. <laughs> I have I have one more kind of discussion question here before we jump into our hot word segment. And oh, this I want to bring up. So like we, we talked about this a little bit previously, but it's a it's a hot one for me. We've kind of talked about this from the perspective of the company itself, but what about employees? Should they be encouraged to kind of create their own content independent of the company? I've got my thoughts. Chris, I see you nodding your head. What are you thinking? 100%. Like, I think if you're an organization, you're afraid that one of your employees is going to have a bigger brand than you, you are doing something wrong. Um, I think that that is the greatest recruiting tool that's out there. And um, my friends, I, I got to, I mean, we got to give a shout out to the guys out at ATG up in Boise, Idaho, Armstrong Transport Group. They um, they're, they're in the comments they're right in now. Charlotte. <laughs> they're, they, yeah, they're, they're, oh, they have well, a Charlotte, headquartered yeah. in Charlotte and then in, in Boise as well as their West Coast. True, true. But no, I mean, they're, they're all over social media. They empower their teams to get out there and do it. And that's the thing is like, that's what you need to do. Like, mm-hmm. again, they're going to be your best recruiters. You know, there's a lot of phenomenal recruiters that are out there. Don't get me wrong. But if you want the, true identity of your organization to come out it has to come from your team you know it can't from come from the corporate page so i i hear pushback on this sometimes well i talk to people who hear pushback on this because they'll be an employee at a larger company yeah and they tell me that there are companies reluctant to have them put out content because they don't know if it's going to be aligned with whatever the company itself would want to put out how do you how do you address that what are your thoughts on that quit and go quit? work for Is somebody. That- quit and go work for somebody oh. that believes in content marketing. Yeah, I I don't disagree with what Blythe just said there. I think that if you're working for somebody who wants to limit what you say, like I get it. If you're directly representing them in an official statement, yes, you probably need to get that. Ta- you know, to make sure that it aligns with company values. But I feel like if you're just putting out individual content. I don't, I don't, I don't believe in asking permission to do a lot of things. That's probably why I, I want to work for myself for the rest of my life. But I also, you know, the other side of the fence, I understand from a legal standpoint that businesses need to protect themselves as a business owner, Blythe and Nick, you guys can agree with this as well. You need to protect yourself. And I understand the thought process behind it, but I also think that people need to stop over analyzing what you're putting out there. You know, it's like a lot of people aren't going to like take an official stance on a lot of hot button issues. No, no, no. They just want to cut some content and and show off what they're working on. And, you know, empower your team to be proud of what they're doing day in and day out. And guess what? We all make mistakes, right? If one of your team members does or says something on camera that uh, they maybe shouldn't have, talk to them about it because we all make mistakes. Like, you don't need to, don't even get me started on the fucking cancel culture bullshit that's out there, you know? <laughs> Because that's the thing is it's like you can't be afraid of that because, you know, we're all human beings, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've done and said a bunch of stupid shit when I was a kid that I do not agree or align with at this point in my life. We've all been there. Nobody's perfect, you know, but it's like if you think somebody's a liability, why are they working for you? <laughs> like let me let me challenge you that business. If you think you have that many wild cards on your staff, that you, <laughs> why are they there? I think with some of the the larger companies, they've just gotten to a place where they don't necessarily need marketing. And but that's just that's not a company that I would ever work for because I I don't want to have to go through four levels of approvement uh, of of getting something approved in order to post something to LinkedIn. I just feel like that sounds yeah. ridiculous. But I also know that that's you know, the the mindset that I'm coming at it from. You know, a business owner and a solopreneur is that. I want to post what I want to post and I'm not going to do it in a disparaging way. Um, but I'm also 
probably going to steer clear of, of some hot button issues unless I'm really knowledgeable about it or I'm really passionate about it. If I, if, if it, if it fits those two areas, then I'll probably post about it to another network than LinkedIn. Um, yeah. That's for sure. I just, I, I, I think that, you know, there's certain things that you should say on certain platforms. And, and, and I think that LinkedIn is, is kind of one of those trickier ones where I think that the sentiment is still, they, they want it to, the majority of the audience that is on LinkedIn, they want it to stay politics free. But yeah. I just, I think we're kind of moving into a world or maybe we're already there where it's almost impossible to ignore politics at all. I think that you can take a stance on anything as long as you truly believe in it. Right. You know, like again, like I mean, uh, half the people are going to like you and half the people aren't. Cater to the half that are going to actually engage and support you. And then, ironically, the haters are going to fucking hate. What's, what's the Taylor Swift song? The haters are going to hate, 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 hate. Um, but I, I just think that at the end of the day, I want to empower my team to be their, their true selves. And I feel like if you're fundamentally hiring and building your team, in the vision that aligns with your company, you're going to hire the right individuals. And that's not to say that there isn't going to be people who kind of get in there and then they just don't work out. But I don't know. I just believe in letting people talk about what they're passionate about and whether that, you know, like, here's the thing, like you should, I, I hate that we're at a point in time where you're afraid that somebody's going to say something, you know, it's like at the end of the day, open dialogue is the best form of discussion. True. I guarantee the three of us don't agree on everything, but we're all going to be able to have an open dialogue conversation about it and be like, yeah, you know what? That person is still a good person at the end of the day, whether I agree with them or not. You right. know, like I, I don't feel the need to try and hold anybody back. But yeah, there's some stupid shit that people say and 100 percent, you know, remove them from your organization if they become a wild card. But I, I think it also is is sort of, I guess, enlightening too, because you, you'll see a lot of corporations that will think that they have all this red tape in place and they prevent their employees from taking a stand. But then their idea of taking a stand is is changing their logo um, to to you know uh, just something else that shows support. But then you know maybe a good example of this is like Pride Month, where a lot of companies will change their logo to a Pride logo. But then they're doing business in Iran and and Saudi Arabia, and it's like, well, you're not changing your logo over there. So are you really, as a company, standing for what you really believe in, or are you doing it for dollars? And so I think that there needs to be kind of a a, a walking the fine line for for companies too. If you're not going to let your employees be free with their thoughts and what they stand for and what they believe in, then how are you as a company going to do the same thing and and ask the same thing? So it's it's kind of like that. It, it's, it's a little bit of murky waters, but I think as long as you if you stand if you believe in something, then stand for it. 100%. Yeah, there doesn't need to be anything murky about it. Stand for what you stand in. There's well-published companies out there. Chick-fil-A, for example. They are who they are, and they are unapologetic about it. And that's who you should be, too. You should unapologetically be yourself. You know? Like, back to the... You know, because, like, that's the irony of it all, Blythe. And and Nick, right there, is like, they say authenticity, authenticity, but then you fucking self-censor yourself. Mm -hmm. You know? Like, oh, I got... No, 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 no. Be who you are. All right. At the end of the day, because people aren't going to like you no matter what. <laughs> like, and they can I'm, sniff it out too. If exactly. you're if you're if you're not being authentic, they can sniff that out. Just like Howard Stern back in was Howard Stern back in the '80s and the early '90s. They were like out of they pulled all of his listeners and the, the people who loved him and hated him said the exact same thing. I just want to see what he says next. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Sorry, Nick, I, if that was off topic or not. Kind of went on on a tangent. <laughs> Totally fine tangent. Like I said, it was gonna be the last question, but I lied. I have one more that popped up because you were talking. Of course you do. You're an attorney. No, I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> but you were talking about the different platforms, Blythe. I guess looking specifically at transportation, are there certain social media platforms that are more prevalent that people should be looking at? Because like you've got LinkedIn, you've got Twitter, you've got TikTok, you've got Facebook. You got there's probably tons I don't even know about because I'm 39 years old. But like, what you don't should look at twenty. <laughs> Sorry. I'll stop. I, I would say um, I think LinkedIn is a no brainer, uh, mostly because the organic reach is still incredibly valuable and it's there. Facebook, not at all. The organic reach or, or the, the, the promise that they made to business owners 10 years ago was you don't need a website. All you have to do is just build your business page and get people to follow your business page on Facebook. And lots of companies did that. And then all of a sudden, Facebook got to the point where they switched the lights off. Just like that, nearly overnight, they dropped the reach of your posts to your audience that you spent time building up. They dropped to 3%. And then 3% to less than 1% of you reaching your same audience. And so that's why Facebook isn't a platform for organic reach anymore. LinkedIn and TikTok are by far the best when it comes to organic reach. Um, TikTok is probably a platform that's a little bit more intimidating for other folks um, or for most folks. Uh, But it's still it's one of it's one of those things that when you first start getting started on a social media platform, you should be listening first and seeing who's active on the platform already and seeing what's working, seeing the comments that happen in a different post of, of people that you follow, connecting with those people. And then that way, you're making those real life interactions or you're making those digital interactions that you can then start creating your content plan around. Um, and I think TikTok is another great example. If, if it's already the dominant social media platform, but there's still a, a lot of issues with people that are just showing up to watch content and they're not actually creating content. So that's why there's still a tremendous amount of organic value that is on there. And then I would say Twitter is still kind of there. The only reason I sort of hesitate to tell people to get on Twitter is because the lifespan of what you post there is something like two days. So whereas LinkedIn, if you post something, it can have a lifespan of weeks. TikTok can have a lifespan of months. There's old videos that can go viral just because TikTok is is trying to keep users on their platform. So they're going to try to show them relevant content. And that's what really all of these social media platforms are doing. They're trying to keep the audience from leaving and spending their attention anywhere else. Um, so if I were to start today and, and I'm in transportation, I'm starting on LinkedIn first. And then that way, once you feel like you've mastered LinkedIn and don't think you can master it within six months, um, <laughs> it, it'll, it'll take you a while to master it. But I would, I would start just creating an account on TikTok, and then that way you can just be watching and know what's working well on that platform. I know, pe- I know creators that will make a TikTok and it gets maybe seven or eight likes. They post it to LinkedIn and it takes off. It goes viral. So it's it's two different platforms that have a tremendous amount of organic reach still. But once you get confident in building up your platform there, then when they decide to take the Facebook route and turn your organic reach off, you've built up those, those skills that are transferable to whatever social media platform is going to come next. Yeah, I think that's an amazing answer to that question. Um, I'm going to segue now into our last section here because we've got 10 minutes left. Okay. And the last section, I'm sure everyone notices the buzzwords that get used, that get used around the industry. Like, there are certain terms just get tossed around and they kind of lose their intended definition. So 
I'm going to throw some words at you guys just related to today, today's topics and get everyone's thoughts. Like, what does the word mean to you? What should it mean? And we give you the word or phrase, give you like a minute to give your give me your thoughts and then move on. So let's start with Chris. Engagement. What does that mean to you? Well, when you love somebody, Nick, you propose <laughs> a question. <laughs> Moving on to Is a next he really one. frozen right now? That's no, a perfect opportunity. <laughs> All right. Well, we lost him to engagement. Oh, there he goes. I'm a startup mode. Okay. I'm, I'm a startup mode. Um, engagement, I think you need to stop focusing on vanity metrics. All right. You need to stop. Fo- like the passive viewership. And Nick, you've touched on this. Blythe, you've touched on this. Um, there is no playbook. All right. Because you need to play to your own unique personality. You know, that's what you need to play to. That's what drives engagement. That's what drives, because people, you know, it's just like in sales, people buy from you because they like you. People are going to follow you because they like you, or they're going to follow you because they hate you. And they're going to fucking work for you when they engage on your shit. So it's a win-win, like let them talk shit, you know, like that's listen the way that is a I listen, see. whether you hate it's, it or not. <laughs> exactly. But I just think that stop chasing engagement, stop chasing what other people are doing. Yes. Take notes. Like I learned a ton. I follow, you know, here's the crazy thing. And the, like, what I love about LinkedIn and how it's hyper-focused on our industry is if you're posting, it comes up on my feed and I'm following you and I'm watching what people are doing. Because again, like I learn from everybody. I like, like admittedly, I have none of this figured out. What I have figured out is that I need to post every single day. That's what I have figured out. When it comes from planning and out content schedule, like I, I have a note that I like jot shit down. I'm like, hey, I should probably post a video about this. But when it comes to like batch recording and everything, very seldomly do I batch record anything. It's more of a, if I'm going to be traveling to go see clients, then I'll batch record on a, you know, so I have stuff to post out. But, you know, I don't do it to drive engagement anymore, if that makes sense. I do it because I see that there's more value in putting out education than there is more value in putting out likes. Back to my whole 2L approach. You got to make them learn or laugh. And that's what's going to drive engagement. You know, And I just think that people chase fictitious social media fame more than they do because it's like, but again, like that's why your, your ulterior motives are very prevalent right away. It's very prevalent if you're there to actually help people or if you're there for own self-interest. Yep. Was that what you were looking for with that word, Nick? <laughs> yes. Aside from a little brief uh, segue at the beginning, mostly yes. Uh, well, and until I get on Kinetic's payroll so they can fucking get me all the high-speed internet and shit. No, I'm just kidding. Take it up with Zach. Oh, he's not here today. Uh, oh, yeah, Zach, cool. No, I'm just kidding. He's probably singing karaoke somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Probably. He's trying to figure out how to bill you for hair and makeup. <laughs> yeah, you look amazing, by the way. Thank you. All right, like next one. We talked about this a little bit, but what's your one-minute snippet on authenticity? What does it mean? Oh, gosh. Um, I would say I, – I would echo what a lot of Chris has already said is that you can't – there is sort of a mantra that you can fake it till you make it, but you also need to be open and honest about that process and what that process looks like for you. You can be committed to problem-solving and having – a that proactive approach with your customers and with your clients. And I think that that's where 
that word really comes from. And so that's where I would sort of lean towards it, especially when it comes to authenticity is really just not being afraid to stand for what you believe in, having those content buckets that you're focusing on whenever you are putting your message out into the world. And then when you mess up, own it and apologize for it. We're all human and we all, we're, 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 we're all a work in progress of getting to perfection. But I mean, I think the reality is with not only our careers and everything that we post, if, if you've waited to be perfect, you've waited too long. And I think that that's where a lot of folks get sort of hung up and, and it paralyzes them is because they think that they need all the bells and whistles that that you see on on Chris's profile or or in my, in, in my background. You, you see that that level is already here, but we started here and we slowly built up to get to that point. And I think that being a part of that journey and still being committed to it and not waiting for perfection and not chasing perfection is is really the the best way to earn authenticity in the eyes of your audience. Yeah. I mean, to kind of touch on that a little bit, don't look at where people are today. Look at where they started and look at what they progressed into. You know, it, it's, it's don't, you know, like, yeah, learn, like, look at where, like, again, like, if anything, have that be a motivating factor behind like why you need to do it. Like legitimately, I mean, all of my business, a hundred percent of my businesses came from social media, mm-hmm. 100%. It's an investment. It's a lot of time. There is no perfect easy route with this though, you know, like, again, you have to put forth a ton of effort into developing your own style. Cause you can try and be authentic as you want, but it, you got you, you'll develop that skill in time. It's just like the first time any of us made a sales call. It was never us on the phone. It was, Hey, Hey, this is Chris with such and such logistics. I just want to talk to you about your friend. Like that initially is how it is. And then you kind of get to a point where you're like, fuck it. I'm done. I'm done to be acting. I'm just going to be me. You know, and if you like it, awesome. If you don't like it, that's cool too. I wish nothing but the best for you. You know, like and I and that too, like you're leading with value. And I think that that's often forgot when we make content online is that some of it can be self-serving, which is why I I I mentioned that KLT method earlier, about 20, you know, 30% of my content is uh, about me, but the rest of it is about the target customer, about the target lead that I'm trying to reach. So making it about them first and the problems that you solve for them will absolutely help you stick out as far as authenticity wise. Yeah, we're we're coming to the end here, but I had one more tag that I wanted to ask both of you about because you hear this term everywhere. Chris, I'll start with you. Thought leader. What is it? I have a very hard time with that statement. It's just like when they're like subject matter expert. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on a lot of things. Does it make them right? Does it make my opinion right? No, because my style of teaching, my style of learning, my opinion on the industry is mine. You know, if people, if that resonates with people, great, but don't take everything I say is the only way of doing things. That's why I have a problem with the term thought leader. You know, like yeah, I could I could research a bunch of shit, but that doesn't mean I'm gonna be you know right. I'm like, what was it? Elon Musk says he knows a lot of stupid people with college degrees. You know, <laughs> I I just think that again, like with with being a thought leader, you, first and foremost, you cannot be afraid to speak your mind. Back to you know knowing your audience and being true to yourself. That is what's being more of a thought leader and holding true to your morals and your values. That's being a thought leader to me. It's not deviating away because a couple of people with keyboards said one thing about you. You know, be be unapologetically yourself in every aspect of your life. That's being a thought leader. That's where it starts in being a thought leader. You know, have your ideals, have your beliefs and stick with them. I like it. 
Blythe, what about you? I, I mean, I, I, I feel like being a thought leader and somebody else telling me that it still feels just weird. Uh, but I think that's my probably my own like lack of self-confidence in that regard. I just talk about what I know and I'm, I'm always going to be curious. I'm always going to be somebody that wants to learn more and wants to get better. And I think as long as I apply that philosophy to not just the way I work, but in my everyday life and my relationships and my family, as long as I apply that philosophy, then that's being technically a thought leader. I guess it just, I, I, I know that there are certain subjects um, that I could cons- that I could shoot from the hip on and talk. This content marketing is one of those things. So I guess I could I would technically consider myself as a thought leader in content marketing. But I'm still learning every day, and not and what I said two years ago might not be applicable to today or even from a year from now. So I think not just being having your own thoughts and opinions, but being curious enough to hear out other ways of doing things or other ways of thinking about things. I, I think that that's um, a crucial part of, of what society is missing now is giving yourself the grace to change your opinion as you get more information. Yeah. yeah. Straight up. Straight up. <laughs> I think, no, I think that's great. I think that's a great way to close this out. Thanks to everybody for joining us today. Blythe, Chris, thanks a ton for joining us here. Yes. Um, if, for those of you watching, if you liked today's conversation, drop us a like, share with somebody that you know. If you have additional questions we didn't cover today, uh, let's see, Chris Blythe, you want to say how to reach out to you? Chris, you first. Yeah. I mean, LinkedIn, Chris Jolly, you look for the freight coach, uh, the website's up, everything else. I'm on Instagram and Facebook as well. Um, yeah, just shoot me an email, Chris at the freight coach.com. You know, I'm, I'm here to help in any way I can. You know, like at the end of the day, I just want to assist people in, you know, letting you know that you're not alone on the journey of fucking things up because I (laughs) I figure out a way to fuck up every day. So, you know, we're all in this together at the end of the day. Yeah, please reach out with anything. You and me both. Blythe, how do they uh, reach out to you? Sure. So uh, digitaldispatch.io, um, that is probably the best way to to find more of my articles and podcasts and things like that. You can find it also in your favorite podcast app of choice. I also have all of my socials that are linked on the website. So that's really like the go-to place where I just send to everyone. Um, I also just launched a new uh, little kind of mini, I think I everybody kind of uses like the link shortener where you can have like just sort of a splash page. Um, so I have a new domain called everything is logistics. Um, that includes all of my, uh, social media icons, you know, all all of my favorite articles that I've done, favorite shows. Um, it's sort of like a, a, a TLDR too long. Didn't read, um, encapsulation of, of the work that I do in this industry. So everything is logistics.com. Perfect. Thank, well, thank you for explaining that acronym. I would have had no idea what that meant. <laughs> it's a Reddit thing. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for joining uh, and tune in towards the end of the month for the next one. Where we're going to talk about partnerships and the importance they have on your marketing strategy. Thanks again. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. And if you did like it, I would love if you could rate and review the show on Apple or Spotify. It'll take you like two minutes of your time, but it helps a ton for a creator like me to be able to show that review like a badge of honor. And it also helps the show get discovered by others. 
If you'd like to see more of my work, head on over to digitaldispatch.io. I've got some new content collections under the resources tab for folks who are freight brokers, truckers, carriers, freight agents, and also a best of collection for how to fix your website and how to fix your marketing. It's all completely free. And again, that tab is under resources over on the digitaldispatch.io website. The website also includes some links to our social media accounts, along with my products and services, in case any of that is of interest to you. Once again, my name is Blake Bremleve, and I thank you for sharing your attention with me today. Until next time, have a magical day.